Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends. Get ready for some awesome. You know, every time you do that, it reminds me I need to turn the volume down on my headphones when you're on the podcast. Hey, uh, friends, welcome back to the show. Jonathan and I are back to discuss a few important items today. But Jonathan, you know what we can start with? What? I got a, uh, I got a, a listener email uh, that, that referenced you. Yeah? Yeah. Pa- I'm we- sure positively. Yeah, yeah, very positive. Did you ever, I, you seem like you would probably recognize this cartoon. Uh, Spike and Chester from Looney Tunes. It's a cartoon. I, I clicked on the link and Spike is this, um, looks like a bulldog of some sort, a large, a, a large dog. And then there's a little tiny one named Chester who's always like nipping at his feet. And uh, Chester gets smacked every time he has an idea by Spike. So that's backstory. Here's the email. Um, I will quote from here on. I have two things to say. First, firstly, do you say firstly in Arkansas with the L-Y? Firstly? I guess you can. Is this an Arkansas email? No, it's from Australia. Oh, firstly, yeah. Firstly, when I, I listen think to you... like prison lingo. Okay, yeah. Firstly, <laughs> when I listen to you and your little mate, old Jono, <laughs> <laughs> I picture the Looney Tunes cartoon Spike and Chester. So I thought, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll, sh- I'll put that link on Twitter. Maybe that'll help people picture this. Um, secondly, when you started talking about Jonathan's Ebola friendship list... I wasn't at all surprised to hear that Rick uh, Atsley was his number four. I figured that it was extremely likely that a homeschool kid from Arkansas who'd just been sacked would consider a meme to be one of his best friends. (laughs) (laughs) He thinks that we're talking about Rick Astley, never going to give you up, right? Yeah. 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 That's so funny. Anyway, here's the last one. Anyway, keep doing what you're doing and have fun at Pepperdine with your little mate, Stormo. So how does this person know that I'm a little mate? I'm a a normal-sized human being in half of the world, thank you very much. Is it the half that you're in right now? No, it's not. But (laughs) still... Which one do you like better? Uh, Stormo? Or do you prefer... Old Jono, or your little mate Jono, or Stormo. Uh, I mean, I guess Stormo. Stormo, <laughs> little little mate Jono. <laughs> Sounds like a yeah. That's yeah. so fun. That's yeah. so. Fun. But here's the thing: it's it's it shows that uh, people are thinking and caring about you, even all the way down under in Australia. Yeah, thanks. So, thanks down there, guys. Nathan Barry, you're. Jonathan is appreciative of you, as am I. Thanks for listening, mate. Jono? Is there anything negative about you? Surely there was, right? I mean, if it was, I just reframed it. I mean, yes, obviously. No. No. no it, it, nothing. Nothing bad about that. Well, uh, what do we got going on right now? This is uh, March, just got on the other side of spring break. I had a little bit of a flu. You did? Right? Yeah. I didn't uh, leave the house for five days. Huh. Like, it, it got the best of me. I never thought it was going to give me up, just like uh-huh. your buddy Rick there. Yeah. I got uh, earlier. I got up to like 104-something fever, but that was really all that was 
Oh, I well, thought you got to 104 pounds. But <laughs> no, that would be pretty dramatic. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've got. Uh, I feel like we got some stuff to wrap up this month. I feel like we, we yeah, just need to jump good. right into this. Yeah. Which so, uh, you went to Albuquerque? Well, yeah. Was it Roar Nadia? No, it was Nadia first, wasn't it? Uh, um. Yeah, 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 yeah. Must be last last month. Hey, can you tell me what the difference, I mean, she said, you know, one felt a little more defensive, but you're the only one who's heard both of those podcasts. What would you say the difference is between the two? Is it? This would be the time to start one of those Patreon accounts where if you pay money, you get to listen to the Unearthed Nadia podcast. <laughs> yeah. That would be terrible. I would never would do that. Unless, yeah, that's right. Unless you pay me a lot of money. Um, it's no, a I donation. Yeah, no, I, she was just, um, I, I think th- she said in the podcast, like she was in a less defensive posture. I think she was, I mean, she's an eight. She was more in the uh, the eight space of um, more confrontational in the first one, I guess. But Oh, really? Did, it, did you feel that? Were you, were you uh, trying to ask? No, no I didn't, like, not, and- it wasn't, like, def- like aggressive <clears throat> to me or anything like that. I just think... Uh, she, well, here's what she said. Like, this was the only Christian podcast that she I did. I know, right? I was very, I thought, man, what poor choices. What? <laughs> yeah, I know. She Surely should do more Christian podcast. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah that is kind of weird to me because, like, not only is she a pastor, like, or she's she was a long-term pastor, but, like, she's marketed as, you know, Pastor Nadia. And you would think that there would, yeah. that there would be more... Christian you ever hear stuff. Sean Palmer's uh, bit on that? Like his, he he has a great rant. Uh, Sean Palmer oh, can go. Oh, into Sean like, Palmer goes into a rant. That's so weird. He can go into old man rant. A grumpy get off my lawn. <laughs> Sean Palmer. Yeah, you know. I, have you heard his thing on pastor at large? There is no such thing as pastor at large. Yeah, you got to pastor actual people that you actually love that annoy you, and that's actually one of the one of. The, let me frame all of this by saying I will never not love Nadia. I mean, I know her parents that go to the uh, Littleton. church at Joe Vaughn. Yeah, Littleton. Um, the stuff that she's like, she she did more to bless Highland, the church I um, just recently left on my own free will. The church um, that lets you go. Yeah, that they and I said bye, and they were very <laughs> anyway. But the prayers of the people was all Nadia, and it was listening yeah. actually this podcast. Yeah, I mean, it was her and the person who was interviewing her, which I think was helpful for that. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I'm just so grateful for Nadia and the way that she has been able to build bridges across the conservative, progressive divide. And, you know, even in this podcast, when she was talking about, of all people, respecting Glenn Beck. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of always been the thing that I loved about her. As I was, you know, because I'm going back and forth in this world, and there's not a lot of people who can see, see and treat other people with dignity like she can. Yeah. So I always love that about her. Yeah, but, but I do. One of the things that I am sad about, and you kind of hinted at it at the end of the podcast, is Pastor Nadia was really, you know, I loved how she saw act, actual people that annoyed her and made sure that. Yeah. Um, and pastor at large feels like a. Um, no, I I kind of get uh, like I, I'm not 
curmudgeonly Sean Palmer yet, but I I do think there is some validity to that. When when you know, I think this is something that one of our mutual friends once uh, went on Twitter soon after someone resigned from being a well-known pastor at a large church and tweeted, uh, you need to take pastor out of your bias since you're not a pastor anymore. And uh, I thought that was a pretty funny tweet. Yeah, yeah. Post, you know what I'm talking about. But uh, I mean, there's some truth to that. Like you have a, a different role and a different function. And I think there's a different function of, uh, you know, internet personality of, you know, person whose whose livelihood is made in social media compared to someone whose livelihood is contingent upon a community. Like you, you act different because what's good for the internet is rarely what's good for church, and what's good for church rarely plays with right. the internet. It's it's two different games you're playing, and I think that there's a, yeah. a place for the writer, speaker, thinker, thought leader, influencer. Like I hate like I hate that I even said the word influencer, but there's a role for that in our community and in our society. Like that's an important place, but it's a different mm-hmm. place than pastor. And I. Yeah, I'm going to co-sign Sean. Like, just get a different name. Like, that's... Yep, yep. You know, I think Richard Beck told me one time, progressive Christianity is mostly a social media phenomenon. And um, I think what what he's saying yeah. is... Right? I mean, like, it's hashtags and, yeah. you know, ways to band together. And I get it. Like, I want to be around... Like, I want to sharpen my kind of ideas and be around people that can support but it has to be turned around and lived out in local communities and uh otherwise it's it's just abstract and kind of gnostic but like her book that was written as pastor nadia like she's written it yeah so so i think that like the next phase of her work is it's going to be a different place but i i think what helped me process what she was doing is that she was writing this as a pastor and she's talking about her, her people and you know, being the best of an Enneagram eight, wanting to protect her people and give them, uh, you know, uh, yep, yep, yeah, I get that. So here's a question for you: Did she change your mind on anything? Great. I, I'm not trying to get a hot. I'm not trying to get a hot take here. Um, but no, yeah, no, no. So I, I went in, and I think I even said this uh, in the podcast: is that I've always been someone who thought, you know, sex inside of you know, a, a lifelong committed relationship is what is God's ideal for it. And right. I, I, I don't you think did say cha- that. Yeah, I, I don't think that's changed. Like, I know that that has not changed because of the podcast. And I think her statement about, you know, not everyone's going to fit in that box. I think it's important to like, let's put that on the table. Let that be part of the dialogue that we have about sexual ethics. But I don't think... I, I think the voice of the church that she's critiquing is the shame-based stuff, the, the yep, worst yep. Of, of what purity culture is. But I think if that's, if that's all we think the church's voice on sex is, then that characterizes the church in a disingenuous way. I think the church has far more to say about sex. True. And I think the world is far more naive and unrealistic about the power and the spirituality that's always going to be imbued in sex when the church like sees that whereas i think the culture just says it's not a big deal it's just casual yeah anyway did she change your mind uh no the although you know that's the thing about nadia like she she did she didn't change my mind on issues she did make me think okay i could see her point on Mm -hmm. how that would come across to um some of the people that you know like uh I, I found myself arguing with her and then being like, oh, I think she's right there a few different times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 
and, and kind of based on what you just said, the, you know, my own life has been totally upended by sex. Like the kind of, you know, when, when it's not on microphones and I'm not preaching a sermon and, and I'm not talking about my own personal sexuality, I'm talking about the things that have happened throughout my family history and the kind of ways that the consequences of sex have devastated so many of the people that I care about um, to where the, <clears throat> you know, I, one time I was talking with a well-known progressive Christian and he, one of the things he said that progressive Christians don't uh, get out there is that the number one indicator of social upward mobility is going to be whether or not someone is abstinent until they're of a certain age. Hold on. Yeah. Like so, so like, I think the number was like 18 of social upward mobility. And you're talking about come, someone coming out of poverty? Coming out of poverty. Yes. Um, <clears throat> and uh, the stability of family and all those kind of things. Like the conservative people that are, that are talking a lot, they have a point, you know, there are, there are very big consequences to sexuality. And when I was saying, you know, a, a lot of people that I love have had their lives ruined by those consequences. You know, I can think of, um, several of my friends who are dead now who I grew up with, who, um, their, their family splintered and they developed addictions and, um, I can draw straight lines from there. I don't, and I don't think it's, um, yeah, I'm not, so yeah. there, there, there's all kinds of consequences to this stuff that it's your, it really is the sacred, powerful thing that whether you want to acknowledge those consequences or not, they're there. Yeah. And I, I think that's the voice of the world is that it minimizes. And if you want to like the progressive thing, uh, maybe it's, I would just say more, outside of the religious community, there is you know, a disrespect of the power in sex. And I think what Nadia's pushing against is the way that in church there has been so much shame that's been doled out to that. And even the feedback and the responses that I got, so th- this is probably going to surprise some people, but I got some negative feedback about Nadia's podcast. Can you imagine that? Yeah, I was wondering what it was like. I mean, was it yeah. overwhelming? Was it about the same amount as? Nah, no, it's been it's it's more than I've gotten in a long time. But it's peculiar that I get. So, so she talks about different sexual ethic than what is consistent with the church's teaching for a long period of time. But there's, I, I didn't get any emails about having the guy who was the founder of the Ritz Carlton Hotel, the guy who was staple in luxury hotels, and. It's peculiar, like no one said, hey, you know, Jesus talks a whole lot about materialism. Jesus spends uh, so much of his time talking about what we do with money and how, how we treat money and how we idolize money. Um, but I have someone who is like a, a, a staple, a pillar of one of the most synonymous names with wealth and privilege and luxury in the United States. No email about that. And are I you have, Jesus juking yourself? No, 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 I'm not done yet. I'm not done with my rant. And we have... Okay. We can have like Brian Johnson, Mr. Mr. Bethel on, and he can make a statement where he says, I think it's okay to take anti-anxiety medicines for a season. It's okay for a season, but you know, just as long as it's a season. I'm not going to get an email about that. Like no one's going to say, hey, you know what? You had a guy who 
unless I don't know something about him and that he has actually gone to medical school or like somehow has training in this, um, thinks that he can make a universal blanket statement about how anxiety medication should be doled out. Um, no, 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 we're, we don't need to worry about that. But if someone talks about sex in a way that's outside the bounds of what we think sex is, like that's where all the emails come in. And I, I think that mm-hmm. speaks to why a book about shame and sex needs to be out there. Now, I'm not saying everything she says is exactly what I think the book should say, but I'm just saying she's on to something that our culture, our religious culture has created sex to be such a taboo issue that we will send emails because that's one issue we don't want to like talk about. But when it comes to like money and stuff, eh, that's not a big deal. We're cool with it. Uh, so yeah, you did just Jesus juke yourself. I wish, I totally wish I would have thought of critiquing that last month on the Ritz Carlton guy. Yeah, but that's, Although I, I did like that podcast. Well, that's because you're materialistic. That's why you're like, ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I, like, here's the thing. I don't, I don't. I thought it was a great conversation. I think he had a lot of good stuff to say. But I, and I, I'm, I would have him materialistic. Back on, but I would have him back on 100 percent of the time. But I'm just saying, if there is going to be this uh, like whistle blowing mentality of you can't have that conversation, it, it speaks to the fact that we've just bypassed Jesus teaching on money. Like, that's fine. We can. We, oh yeah, there's definitely. Uh, and, and you're right. There is Jesus talks way more about money than he does uh, anything besides the kingdom of God, and we don't. Americans we tend to emphasize sins that we don't uh, currently struggle with. Yeah. I think I th- I haven't read Nadia's book, and so I don't want to be that guy. Does the I would I would argue that her stuff on shame. I think I think the purity culture has has been really damaging. Um, but I'm also raising three boys and two daughters. And I'm uh, when when uh, did you kiss dating goodbye when you I, were in high school? I had a, a girl friend give me that book right before we broke up. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I kept kissing um, dating. I kissed that. dating goodbye. And that was the only thing I was kissing. <laughs> it wasn't really. It wasn't really. Was, did you kiss? Da- <laughs> did you kiss? Yeah. Was it? A, yeah, that's what I was wondering. Was, was it your choice to kiss a goodbye or not? No. no. I no, once. Yeah. I once told a girl. Uh, I, I feel like I need to like um, spend more time with the Lord right now. I feel like we need to break up, and so we did. And then she's like, "Yeah, Luke, I saw you two weeks later with the, um, the the homecoming queen, and it seemed like that you'd spend enough time with the Lord now, right?" And I was like. Yeah, yeah, I did. Like two weeks is enough. Like that's I don't, I don't need yeah, forty days true. of purpose. Fourteen is all I needed. <laughs> Fourteen days of purpose. So, yeah, no, I, I didn't. That that was not on my radar. I, I don't think the purity culture in prominent ways was a big part of my religious upbringing. Do you think it was part of yours? It wasn't. No, I mean, like the little church I grew up in didn't do it. But all my friends, you know, in the in the Bible Belt, everybody's Baptist, so. Yeah. Uh, all my friends were, and I, I read "I Kissed Dating Goodbye" when I was like fifteen. And yeah. what was the other one? There was something else, like "Every Man's Battle" and all those kind of things. And but that was, yeah, I think that was more like was there like "Every Man's Battle" for for youth or something like that. But "Every Man's Battle" was a book about lust, and I didn't and pornography and like um, yeah, what? But I mean, this is the kind of stuff y'all are, y'all were talking about with. Yeah. Um, so I guess the purity culture. Uh, I very much, I very much became came of age in that, mm-hmm. and part of part of me is just trying to figure out what what do you want to pass on to your kids at this point when it comes to human sexuality, um, like yeah. what I, what I want to tell my sons and daughters. 
So what, what would you say? Well, I, what I'm trying to say is I, I don't want to go down the road of shame. I don't want this uh-huh. to be, you know what? Right. You know, if uh, no one's going to want you, if, if everyone has uh, held onto this rose, then it's eventually going to be like all the petals are going to fall off and it's going to be ugly. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do... Jesus wants the rose. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to say, uh, you know, if you really want to, uh, if you want to get a guy, you know, let me tell you something. If, uh, if you give them the milk, they're not going to want to buy the cow. I'm not going to do that. Any sort of bovine reference to my daughter is not going to happen. What I do want to say is that your sexuality honors God and that your uh, following of, of Jesus should impact the way you understand sexuality. It's a beautiful thing. God gave it to us as a, a, a beautiful uh, gift that brings life, that is something that, that, that creates unity within a, in a marriage relationship. Um, but it's not something that we should just think it's not a big deal. It's, it's, a, it's a fire that can bring warmth and it can also be a fire that destroys things. But it's supposed to be bringing warmth. You know, the, there was a point in Nadia's thing where she uh, said a sentence about uh, my, my body was never my own or something like that. And it was almost a direct yeah. quote, uh, but it was the opposite of what Paul says. The, the so like, I, what she was talking about is like the purity culture is that the ring uh-huh. is I'm committed to my father to be chased. Right, yeah, yeah, And then yeah. eventually I get married and then the ring goes now for, to my husband. So you're like property. Yep. You're passed on from yep. father to husband. You know, I wonder if the better instincts behind that idea, what, if you didn't make it gender-based, if it would be, because I don't think Paul is doing gender-based stuff when he's talking about body... Uh, theology in first corinthians where he's talking about your body is not your own no. you know you've been bought by a price he's not talking to the females of the congregation there no um and and so there is there is a sense in which i think western people really struggle with the idea that christianity does not grant you the level of autonomy that yeah. uh you know what i mean yeah like it, i don't get to say what i yeah, and that and that flies in the face of our culture and our proclivity for saying this is my right, and you know it's my right to do what I want with my body. It's my right to have whatever I want. It's my right to do this. And yeah, I think Christianity says you're kind of submissive to someone beyond yourself, right? And that person is not like the patriarch of your family. You know, that's not yeah. That's not the point. It is. It is parad- very ironic to me. It's such a paradox that the very faith and movement that gave the world human rights is not that interested once you're on the inside of it of you claiming your own right to stand on your own rights what do you mean do you know what i mean Mm-mm. well i mean like human rights came from the christian tradition uh, yeah i mean yeah. that's pretty unarguable but once you're if, once you decide to be on the inside of it it is very much like um uh you lay down though you lay down most of your rights yeah um, but there's a difference. The of, yeah, I, I think what Christianity does is it fights for others to have opportunity and to have their right, humanity right. respected, to be a lady or a gentleman, no matter how the world classifies you. But you're not fighting for your own rights. Yeah. So it's. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of the very Christ-like things that we should be doing. So it seemed to me like you know I, I would love to kind of talk with Nadia with microphones off and. Um, but it seemed to me like there was kind of a different telos between what I think about sexuality and marriage and those kind of things and maybe what um, she would say. So I would say, you know, the chief end of humanity 
is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I'm not trying to like Jesus, you can say, and she doesn't think that, but, um, I would, and, and she might have a different, I mean, like the like Lutheran confession might have a different slant on that, but it does seem like, um, the telos for me is not to enjoy and have an awesome sexual experience with my life. Yeah, you and I, we've talked about this before, but you kind of go go more, no, I like, you kind of like to go like the Catholic route that, or not the Catholic route. I do, I do. You like to be, uh, use some of the jargon. They're doing great when it comes to sexuality these days. Mm. I tell you. I'll let you take that one on your own. The. Well, Roar did it, right? I mean, Roar. Yeah, there's a difference of Roar making a Catholic joke and you making a Catholic joke. True. Slightly. Can I, can I back that up? <laughs> yeah, you, you and Roar are basically the same when it comes to Catholicism. Yeah, I, I don't think that... So, one of the things I do appreciate is the understanding that the beauty of sex doesn't need to be distanced from healthy spirituality. But that, I'm not... Sure, right. I, I don't want to like say it's a sacrament, but in the sense that it is a, it is a grace that we've been granted... And that to think that it's not supposed to be enjoyed, I feel like is kind of missing part of one of the gifts. Like this is the J, like every good and perfect gift. Yeah, yeah. I I think our culture would say that it is the utmost importance to have a fulfilled sexual life. That if, if you don't get to have sex, then we can reorder what a relationship is supposed to look like. Like, yeah, I don't think that should be the ultimate end is that you you know, getting what you want should be able to let you reorganize what's right and wrong. Right. Um, so, yes, a few things you said made me... Okay. I had two things I wanted to say, and I totally forgot because you just kept talking too long. Um, Blame it on me. All right, little Jono. You... <laughs> No, hold on. Say what you said again. No, no, I'm not going to do that. People don't want to hear that. They already they hear. They're like, "Yeah, Luke's making far more compelling argument than Jonathan." No, well, I want to talk about abortion no. now. I make the awkward okay. transition in the pod. We can come back if you think about it. We'll come back to it. Yeah, yeah, okay. When you were saying, I'd love to have the conversation with Nadia, you know, off mic about sexuality. I really wanted to have a more like robust conversation about abortion. I've never heard a a compelling argument for. A, like a, a, a left, a Christian left's argument for why abortion is okay. The majority of times I've heard the argument is, it's kind of like a sheepish, well, you know, um, who, who really knows? And it's, um, you know, it's a tough thing, and, but it's, it's okay. And, and so I've never really heard a robust one that, that's made me reevaluate, and I, I, I still haven't. But I, I would love to find ways to not have this like vitriolic conversation mm-hmm. about it because not humanized the other yeah, side. Yeah. Because we would be naive if we didn't listen to part of the critique that Nadi made, which is just pulling up the basic history of the religious right and abortion, how it was not an issue until just a few decades ago when all of a sudden uh, this was used as a pretext to get Christians to vote Republican. That like there are receipts on that, that you cannot refute. Um, yeah. But that doesn't change the, 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Anyway, I, I think we talked about sex enough. Do you have final thought on abortion? Uh, just so you found compelling but not persuasive the idea that breath is when no. they. No, I don't find that to be like. But you never. That's not compelling. You never to, heard that no, no, before. No, no, I, I was saying I still haven't heard one that's compelling to me. I, oh, I don't okay. think it is. I, and part of it is because, you know, my wife takes care of babies that are four months before they're technically outside of the womb, um, mm. or the, according to normal like developmental process, and they live. And so I, it's just hard to go. Yeah, but that baby could survive even though it's four months before it's supposed to come out of the oven. That, like it, yeah, we we have too much science to go. Uh, I, I think the religious right that, that hit the history of uh, the religious right and moral majority weaponizing abortion. Uh, we got to own that. We can't yeah. uh, sweep that under the rug. But in the same way that the people who are Christians who are pro-choice have to recognize the extremely racist eugenic roots of abortion in the West, like, um, the, it it was tied to eugenics, you know, like the, um, until after the smoke clears from World War II and we're like, oh, that's really bad. We don't want to. So that we kind of started downplaying that, but, you know, friend of the show, Andy Crouch says in his book, uh, playing God, that abortion is the most racist institution around i I, um, I feel like that's not really something a white white guy gets to say like it's just really is that, I, I don't know is that right i, I don't know i just don't feel like hey yeah that, i get that i get that I, it just seems like that's uh yeah i i, I feel like let's let a a uh a person of color so make the, that statement not <laughs> not a white person well, like, does yeah, I can let. That's fine. Like, I just feel comfortable. Like, just so get Lecrae on him. Yeah, I would quote Lecrae if, if he's someone who's saying that, and let that be an argument that uh, we as white people just listen. And I don't think we have to lead that conversation. But I, I can see the facts. Like, the, wait. So does does that sound like? Because I was thinking at it from another perspective. Like it was. Um, well, okay. No, I, like I, yeah. I, I, I think what Andy Crouch and I think what you were trying to say is that. Uh, I think you're you're trying to like be a supportive person to people of color. I, I like I don't think you're be- Yeah, that's I don't think That's exactly what I was trying to do. Yeah, so I don't think you were being right. I, I just, was not expecting that feedback. I just I like yeah. I, I just I don't know. Something goes off and goes, "Hey, that's the practice something you should be saying anyway, whatever." I, I, here's the thing. Yeah. I know there's some people who go, "Abortion's going to happen and there are, you know, ways to minimize the damage of it and maybe this is the best way to to vote to or, or Voting is a secondary subject that we're not really talking about right now. But I, yeah. what, what I was trying to say is I know some people see the complexity of it and they go, you know, this is the best option and whatever. I get that. I, but I'm ready to move on. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just, thanks. I'm done. I'm done talking about that. Yeah. Are you? Are you good with that? Yeah. Let's talk. Uh, what was the other thing? Okay. Yeah. You want to talk about Roar? Yeah. Let's talk about Roar. So did you need, did you need to visit with Roar after all the emails? Because to have him dote on you all over again. What emails? I'm just saying the responses to oh, the naughty yeah, 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 yeah. podcast. No, I, here's the thing. Hey, have you aged? I'm seeing some aging on this. Storm, that's just There's really, some just wrinkles that I that's, haven't noticed before. You know, if that makes you feel better, go and say it. I mean, just punch up all you want, old Jono. <laughs> old Jono. Old, old Jono. <laughs> yeah, Roar, uh, so... 
the universal Christ. He had talked about this some when you were out there. We were there a couple months ago, yeah. or a couple years ago, and I, I've been excited to, to read this book because I, I wanted to like hear a more comprehensive uh, take on this and the idea that Christ is in all things. I'm all yeah. in on that. I'm all in the idea that Christ is before Jesus. That. Um, that Jesus just doesn't show up on the scene. I, I think scripture's pretty abundantly clear on that, and I'm going to let that be authoritative for me. Uh, and I don't think I could be pinned down on saying that Jesus is the only time that Christ has been revealed, right? Like there's that thing in Corinthians where Paul says that the stone in the right, wilderness right, the broader, was, yeah, the, was Christ, yeah. right? Like, and, and, and maybe Paul is being, you know, first century rabbi doing midrash, and maybe he doesn't mean that in a literal sense maybe he's being poetic i feel like i feel like richard Rohr is a rabbi doing midrash i every time i yeah, read yeah. his stuff yeah. you know what i mean i feel like you it's like what does that mean and there's it it's so like elusive and you know uh like a lot of it's really really powerful but it feels like that you know it feels like yeah. you can't pin it pin, pin it down it, it's like he's we're all playing checkers over here, and he's playing chess. Yeah, like he, that's right. He's just got more yeah. moves that, that he's able to go to <laughs> than, than, than we can do. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I, I can go two forward and, and one over diagonal, but he's like all over the board. And I think that's how, like, the, I think that's what, he has the freedom to do that, and it helps all of us to see in a bigger picture. And, yeah, yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. So tell me about the book. I haven't read it. Is it good? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a good book. And I think he, I, I think, I, I think he's better as a teacher than writer in terms of if, if I had to only have one experience of Richard Rohr, I would choose teacher Richard Rohr instead of writer Richard Rohr. Uh, that's just my preference. You know, everyone has their own. Um, but, um, I mean, this is a different idea than, than I've ever been comfortable enough to like preach myself. And, yeah. and so it's something I'm, I'm still kind of downloading and, and mulling over. Okay. So here's, here's my take on it. I think there's everything paradox and that this is one side of the paradox, but that it is a side that, um, American people, uh, when, when Jesus is universal, is Jesus ever local? Like yep. the way, mm-hmm. Uh, the way Ross and I said it in our uh, w- very well received award winning <laughs> book um, <laughs> was where <laughs> church isn't the only place you go to meet God, but it's where you go to meet God everywhere else. So, like, you, you know, it yeah. helps you learn. But once you lose that, that special, I do think it waters down the universal. Um, and yeah. so let me let me just say it using exactly the universal Christ metaphor. Um, before before it was anything, when you talk about the word Christ, it actually meant the anointed one, and it was a metaphor in Israel's history. Israel, a particular group of people mm-hmm. located in it was the Messiah, and it, it had with it a certain group of people with certain attachments and word, you know, like word cloud, you know, things that were, uh, and so. To, to and Scott McKnight's kind of kingdom conspiracy thing. When we talk about the kingdom of God, we're talking about a king and a people. Um, 
You see the, yeah. the thing I'm trying to do here? Yeah, I, th- I think what you're saying is that, that Christ has always been located in a specific story. And that right. Christ is a term of a specific group of people expecting God to act in a specific way in a specific time. And right. if, if you take the peculiarity out of who Jesus is, like Jesus of Nazareth is an actual human being, and that Christ is the, you know, his identity, then it, it kind of waters it down. Yeah, um, I think AJ, um, not your beloved Swoboda, but AJ Cheryl, um, who I feel like you could probably have like a secondhand restraining order against because of the Mars Hill stuff. Um, maybe that's why you probably don't like him as much. But he, I thought he tweeted something not too long ago where he said, you know, if everywhere is spiritual, then, then no place is, if everywhere is sacred, then no place is sacred, or something, some sort of paradoxical statement about trying to say that there is a localized... Uh, right, play. yeah. Yeah. You do, you do lose it if, it if you dilute it so much, if it's, you know? And so if it's everywhere, then, then what, is, what are the, the, the values of holy places? Yeah, yeah. And... But the but the antithesis is just as true. Like if you, you're going to localize and say it's just here, if it's just church, church is the only way. Oh right, then you're sectarian or you're yeah. you know national idolatry or whatever it is um, that is equally as bad. I mean, yeah. on just the other side of the ditch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you said it. I mean, we're talking in paradoxes here, and yeah, you know, Roar's trying to get us to think bigger than what we're doing, and. He, he he even talks about this in the the podcast and in the book where he goes you know this is this is transrational like this is this is beyond like black and white this isn't just like the book of proverbs if you do good good things are going to happen to you like this is you're having to think in a different way to to access this yep oh that reminded me about my sex thing what i was going to say in response because it actually fits in to roar stuff which is um, okay, so we were talking about, you know, sex is not for everybody, uh, that it, it, uh, you were saying sex is a sacrament and I would say sex is a sacrament within marriage and he, he talks about sacrament stuff. Have you heard N.T. Wright's thing on marriage as a sacrament as in the heaven and earth coming together in the end, bride beautifully dressed for mm-hmm. the groom and like heaven I mean, the quote, it's in Surprise by Hope. It's just this powerful quote. But it, like, anatomically specific. Heaven and earth are not uh, two opposite poles. They are um, designed for each other, different, but designed for each other. And when they finally come together at last, um, you will see, like, love has the final word and God's mm-hmm. good universe and i mean it's just really powerful thing about sex as a sacrament within the context of marriage um and it made me think of the conversation you guys had about sacraments and him saying the underlying reality behind sacraments was creation Hmm. do you remember this no keep going though like well the first incarnation he says is earth yeah the first yeah and so the underlying, I mean, uh, the underlying thing behind sacraments is this earth matters and God yeah, yeah, yeah. chose to inhabit them. And, and so, you know, I would like to hear Roar and Naughty in a conversation. Yeah. You know, I want, I, you brought up Tom Wright. I, I've intended to email him and say, hey, uh, 
your buddy old Richard Rohr wrote a book about Cosmic Christ. Uh, care to give me your thoughts on that? And I haven't done it yet, but I've been meaning uh, to get his take because I would love to hear what he has to say about it. Um, yeah, that would, we need to make that happen at some point. Um, yeah, no kidding. That would be interesting. Yeah. What a fascinating conversation to hear Tom Wright and Richard Rohr talk about. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I want to make that happen. I, I don't know how I can make it. I would love to make that happen is what I'm trying to say. Um, one of the things I loved uh, about the podcast with Rohr, which was probably one of the most uh, special few, like special segments of a podcast ever been a part of, was when he started talking about his mortality and his death. Uh-huh. And wow, that I, it was like I'm going to put the microphone down. I'm just going to sit here and listen because I don't want to mess this thing up. And it was, wh- what did you think when I asked him, "Hey, what does heaven fit into, like, your life right now?" Is your, do you think about it? Is it part of your process of uh, assessing what, what's next? And he said, "You know, not not really. It's not a, like it's not a, a big part of it." What did you think? Well, I mean, I, I do think one of the great things about this job is you get to be around people who are wonderful often. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't mean, you know, but there's a lot of people who practice their whole life to die. Mm-hmm. And his thing on life is learning how to let go so that when you finally get to the last precipice, you've been practicing the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I could see that in him. He's... Uh, and so there, there was, there is a real open handedness in the way he talked about death. You know, Luke, I had a heart attack last year. I, I'm living with cancer right now. Um, yeah. he's talked about like a non-anxious presence. I feel like he's talked and written about mm, that. Yeah. And there was no anxiety in him as he's mm. discussing what he sees to be something that's not that's not unrealistic to happen in the near future form. It was very, very special. And like you said, there are people who have practiced getting ready for this moment. And he seems like someone who's at that state. And anyway, it was one of the most, I was just really honored to be able to sit in the room. You know, one of the things I love about Roar, you know, he, he is one of the few progressive Christians who talks about, the crisis of masculinity. And um, one of the downsides, if you're not, you open yourself up for Jordan Peterson moments. Um, You know what I'm saying by that, right? Like uh, very vulnerable to um, somebody who is not, it's not Christian by most definitions of the term defining what it means to be a good Christian man. And um, Roar has, his stuff on, I mean, when he was talking about thousands of years of feeling like you had to defend and, you know, refuse to let down your, uh, you know, that half of men in human history have what we would call PTSD today. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I think he, his just description of, I think there's a reason a lot of dudes are really drawn to Richard Rohr. Yeah. Um, I don't think he gets women that much. I remember, uh, Suzanne's the bill <laughs> talk about him. I mean, in, in joking, loving ways, but she would say when she was doing training with Island, like, oh, the guy's never lived with a woman besides his mom, and then she would move on. <laughs> but I do think he gets dudes. Um, and uh, don't you? 
I, I, I definitely think it's irrefutable that his connection, uh, especially to younger men, is uh, is clearly uh-huh. substantial. I, I don't know about the stuff about he doesn't get women. I'm going to let Suzanne say that, and I would never disagree with Suzanne um, about anything. So she can say whatever oh, she yeah, wants. Oh, yeah, she said it in a lot of love. Yeah, you know, yeah. She said it in a lot of love. I, you know, I don't know if I could agree with Roar about his love for dogs and, like, seeing Christ in his dog. Like, that might be one thing I'm like, I'm going to pump the brakes on that one. Roar, like, I, I'm good with 80%, but you, you get to that part, I'm like, yeah, I, I've got this dog that's just an idiot, and I don't see anything in him. <laughs> he's, he's, he woke me. What did I say about dogs being like their owners? It's something like that. Something about dogs and owners kind of hmm. mirror one another. I don't think you should say anyway. that kind of stuff about my wife because she's <laughs> dogs and owners. Uh, yeah, that's rude. I thought you liked Lindsay. She used to like you. Um, we, I've got a few minutes before I got to go pick up a kid from gymnastics. Uh, Miroslav Volf talking about seminary and yep. church and the disconnect and how seminary creates an environment in which uh, people just live insulated from the rest of the world and church the church knows nothing about them they know nothing about the church i I think he's just very accurate and spot on with what he's doing and yeah i i'm grateful that people like him who are like legit top shelf scholars are saying that yeah uh, me too because i feel like um i feel like they need to address the academy and people like me and you need to address the church and make sure because, uh, you know, coming here, being here for now eight months, I can tell you there were some things that were really frustrating to me at Highland that uh, being, you know, having all these seminary professors there, you know, death by nuance or always yes, but. Um, and and now there's part of me that's like, man, I wish I wish we had a little bit of that. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they really are helpful. Yeah. They're helpful to. Um, yeah, you, pump the brakes on. Yep, I mean, stuff and, it's like you need salt and you need sugar, but it can't be all salt. It can't be all sugar. Like they, they both need to be there. That's that's you and me. What salt and sugar? Do you like being salt? Because I mean, obviously, that's the one. Uh, um, wait, I would say I was sugar. No, I don't think so. I, I I think that's more of a. I guess Jesus said be salt, so I get that. You know, I, I'm like Jesus. I feel like uh, little mate old Jono would be salty. I mean, that's. <laughs> Stormo, Stormo, uh, Stormo. Yeah. Well, Johnny, you know who I'm recording with tomorrow. Who's you that? Know who wrote the book Holy Envy? No, you just showed me that book, and I asked you, and then you hung up. Uh, that's a, who? Oh, BBT. Who wrote Robert it? Brown Taylor. Oh, cool. So we, is it good? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think it's a good book. I'm excited about that conversation. Uh, we've got... Uh, Is that like world religions yeah, stuff? Yeah, so it's her kind of processing her experience teaching world religions at this little uh, Bible college or this small college in, uh, I guess, Georgia? Something like that. Yeah, Georgia. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, so I'll ha- I have uh, Emily P. Freeman. Do you know her? She's friends of like Annie and Jamie Ivey. Um, she came to the office a few weeks ago. We got one with her. That'll go next week. Then we got uh, Barbara Brown Taylor. I think we're going to get one with Shane Claiborne this month. Uh, oh, cool. I think so. I don't know when exactly that one's going to air, but we got a few good ones that are coming up. And then next thing you know, you and I will be together in Malibu. Uh, Pepper and I. I got... That's right, man. I, got, I think I've got a couple ideas for what to do out there. Some, uh, some roundtable stuff. 
Like that's a metaphor right, we don't cool. really need to bring a round table. But I, th- I think I got some ideas for something. Might be good. Cool. Sounds good to me, man. Well, Jonathan, I appreciate you saying that you enjoy part of your job getting to be with wonderful people. And it means a lot to me for you to say that. <laughs> but uh, yeah. it's real nice. <laughs> yeah. But just, yeah, yeah, okay. I'll let you have that. Kevin? You've had, you've, had a, you've had a month, so I'll let you have that. Is there any final words you'd like to share with us? Any questions for <clears> me <throat> that you need me to answer for you? No, I think you answered everything. I mean, yeah. all the controversial issues you just took on in one month. Solved them. And, and fixed it. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, that's what I'm here to so, do. I'm here to help. What a servant. What a servant. Yeah. All right. I'll see you at Pepperdine, man. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned. <laughs>